0: It is a blessing to be able to stand here tonight and preach to y'all, and I would invite you to take your Bibles with me this evening and let us turn to the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 1 tonight, Psalm number 1. It's always amazing to me to consider the providence of God and how he works things on a Lord's Day. Uh, Things we heard this morning on watch and pray kind of help for tonight, and then our Reading this evening in the Old Testament, sequentially, bring us to Joshua 1, connects tonight as well. Also reading from the book of Joshua this evening brings back a memory for me. About 14 years ago, the book of Joshua was the first book that I ever tried to preach through as a pastor. Not a recommendation that I would make tonight. (laughs) I was all of 20 and had no resources, and for some reason I was drawn to preach through that book, and at that time in the life of the church, my mom and dad were mainly the only two people who were there, and as the scripture says, those who endure unto the end shall be saved, (laughs) and they made it by God's grace, because when I got to the division of the land, I was in trouble. So... The Lord has blessed me tremendously to come a long ways from there. But this evening, as we come to this text tonight, Psalm 1, I want us to consider the thought, two roads, two roads. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1, let us hear together the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Our kind Father in heaven, we ask that the Spirit would come this evening And open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word. Deepen in us greater affections for our Savior. And I would ask this evening for those who know him not, that the Spirit would rescue them and put them on the road to eternal life, which is Christ. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the most famous poems ever written by an American is The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Perhaps everyone here is familiar with that imagery that Frost employs of two different roads with the implication being that there is a path that is well worn that most men travel while there is one that fewer take. And Frost's concluding stanza is this, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Well, two roads are set before us in Psalm 1, and the one that we travel indeed does make all the difference. It's rightly said that Psalm 1 sets the scene for the entire Psalter. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked are continually contrasted throughout the Psalms. And it is also interesting that the distinct language that is used here to distinguish these two people echoes much of the wisdom literature in Proverbs where we hear over and over the distinction between how the wise or the righteous live and how the foolish or the wicked live. But that picture of two paths and two roads and two distinct ways is not just unique to the Old Testament, but Jesus uses it vividly In the Gospels, for example, in Matthew 7, when he speaks on the broad way that many take but leads to destruction, the narrow way that fewer take but leads to life, as well as he talks about the wise man and the foolish man. The wise builds on the rock, and the foolish man builds on the sand. Psalm 1 is also a connection with Psalm 2, in that it really sets the stage for what the Psalms are all about While Psalm 1 describes the man who is faithful to the law of God, Psalm 2 talks about the anointed one of God who reigns over his people through that law. Our natural condition, as spelled out here in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, describes those who rage against the Lord's anointed, who sit in the company of the scorners and disregard the truth. And the end for those is that of eternal destruction and condemnation. For us to be the blessed man who finds life, then we need the Lord's anointed to come and give us his righteousness and his life. For only Jesus Christ tonight is the truly blessed man who ensures that we would receive all the blessings of the covenant of grace. Each person here tonight, is on one of these two roads. These two roads begin with different hearts, they produce different results, and they finish at different destinations. One road begins with a heart that's renewed by grace, trust in Christ, and lives in the light of him. The other road begins with the natural heart that sinks deeper and deeper into sin and ends in eternal death. Which road are you on tonight? Well, I want us to see, first of all, as we begin looking at this psalm, that in verses one and two, we see that the two roads start with different hearts. We're introduced in verse one, blessed is the man. And then in verse one, we hear what the blessed man does not do. And then in verse two, what he does. And the difference between the blessed man. And the wicked man is that they are motivated by different hearts that draw from different sources that have different values. The man who is described as blessed is introduced to us in verse 1 as one who does not follow the way of the world, but in verse 2 is the one that follows after the way of Yahweh. First of all, in verse 1, that term blessed is a word to grab the attention. It's a strong word. It means more than just happy. It communicates a change in condition or status. Jesus uses the Greek equivalent in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. And as our brother Kyle has showed us, Jesus there is not saying we do these things to get in the kingdom, but it's describing those blessed people who are in the kingdom by virtue of their union with Christ. It's also interesting that in verse 1, blessed is a plural term, and we could say that this is describing the man who knows the blessedness of God. And the picture here is of a man or a woman who knows the full grace of the Almighty, and because of that, they are in a blessed, changed condition. You see, the Bible is not a book that's interested in just getting us to change externally to conform to a standard outwardly, and that's all. But it is that we have an inward change by grace, and that manifests itself then in how we live. So who is the the blessed man? Who are those who are blessed? Well, through the Psalms, we can go to Psalm 2, and it's those who kiss the Son and trust in Him. In Psalm 32, it's those who have had their sins forgiven. In Psalm 34, it's those who trust in the Lord. And in Psalm 42, the blessed man is the one who fears him. But I also think we should hear what Jesus says about who is blessed when they're at the end of John's gospel. And Thomas said, I I believe now that I've seen. Do you remember what Jesus said? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And tonight, We who are in him are a blessed people because we've known the grace of God and we are on the path that the Savior has trod. Now, how do we follow that path? How do we go on this road? Well, let's start in verse 1 with what we are not to do. It says in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The psalmist here uses a device that we call parallelism, and you see this kind of track here. Walks, stands, sits. Counsel, path, seat. The ungodly, sinners, scornful. And what this is all showing, this kind of picture here by using language, is that the natural man who knows not the salvific blessing of God sinks further and further into sin. There's a downward progression, and it highlights how the devil operates, that he uses subtle tactics to reel us in little by little, but more and more until a person is so immersed into wickedness and sin and opposition to the Lord. Consider, therefore, in verse 1, the natural man here. He is the one who is in the way of the ungodly. The first step is to listen to those who are opposed to the ways of God. And before long, the one who walks begins to stand in the path of sinners. He becomes more comfortable in embracing sin and aligning himself with the way of the world. And then it finishes by him taking a seat among the scornful. He takes his place. He fully identifies with those who mock the God of heaven and earth, who outright reject what thus saith the Lord is, and says, I take my place in the kingdom of darkness and opposition to the king of kings. C.H. Spurgeon describes this downward trajectory in this manner, quote, When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly, who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual, but after that, they become habituated to evil, and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments, and if left alone, they go one step further. And become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others. And thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. They have taken their degree and vice. And as true doctors of damnation, they are installed and are looked up to by others as masters in Belial. The point being you go from just a little to then in a place where you seek to draw others to follow in your sinful ways. Sin is always downplayed at the beginning. What is called an innocent lust becomes the pathway to pornography, which ends in a marriage destroyed. That's how sin works. It begins, it seems like a small thing, but it expands and grows larger and larger and larger. The natural inclination of mankind Is for us to follow our own desires, satisfy our own pleasures, and do whatever we have to do in order to make ourselves happy, no matter the cost. But this is the downward progression. This is how Satan twists and deceives. And before long, someone who thought they were masters of their desires have become enslaved to their passions and are in full bondage. So brothers and sisters, Even as we have been delivered from chains of darkness, we're still in a war, and we must kill sin at the beginning. There can be no room given whatsoever to our sinful desires. There are no innocent lusts, there are no convenient lies, and there are no angry vents that we should give that will make us somehow feel better and use things to justify our sin. All of those seemingly minor things quickly transform into more and more wickedness. But by the power of the Spirit, through the Word, and the community of the saints, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. There's something else I think that's important for us to see here in verse 1 of this, following it seems with a crowd, the counsel of the ungodly, the path of sinners, and then to take a seat Among the scornful, all of us in some level want acceptance and we want to be a part of the group. I think that's with us all of our lives, but especially when we're younger, we want that. Now, what we have to be aware of as the people of God is we could read this and say, well, see, this means we've got to hide ourselves from the world. No, we're not being called to become monks and be isolated. We must still go out into the world and compel them to come to Christ. But as a believer, we can't be in fellowship with the world. We don't have union and communion with those who are of the kingdom of darkness. And so the temptation that we have to fight is to give in to the ways of the world. And that's very hard, especially when you're younger. I remember as I was working through this passage, when I was a freshman in high school, which I won't say how long ago that was now, because I thought it used to feel like it was yesterday, but it's not anymore. And I remember I was at a new high school, and I so much wanted to fit in. And I have always, people have thought I look older than I really am. Sometimes that's been a blessing, and other times it's felt like a curse. But I was in class with a group of guys, and I remember one of them saying, we could go to a gas station, and you look older than 21. And they wouldn't ask you for ID if you went in and bought some beer. And I remember, if that could get their approval, should, should I do that? Should I forget everything that I'd heard at church and from mom and dad? And, you know, I'm, I'm in high school. I need to do what I want to do. But I remember contemplating all of that, and the thing that kept going in my mind over and over and over is if I did it, I'd get caught, and my mom and dad would be gravely disappointed in me. Now, I wish that I had more thought about the Lord being disappointed in a sense than my parents, but I am thankful that he used that means as a boundary, the temptation's strong for us to want to take a seat with the scornful and to have the world's approval. But I want you to know though it's a much sweeter company to be with the saints of God. Because the Lord that has called us will never bring us to something that is hurtful or bad to us, but that which is good. And so whether we're young or older, whatever the case The thing to ask tonight is, are we around those people who will point us to the loveliness of Christ? Are we around those who drive us to the Savior? Because that's what blessed men and women do. You see, in verse 2, we get the positive contrast. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, there's the difference. The blessed man is on a road that delights in the Lord, savors his truth, because his heart has been changed by grace, and he delights in the law of the Lord. It's always interesting when I prep and study the Bible and you read a commentary, and sometimes men will go into long explanations on something that I think is just kind of straightforward. Law here, what does it mean? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it all 600-plus commandments? I think as we go through the book of Psalms, we can see the law is just a term for the scriptures, for the covenant revelation that God has given to us. And what do the Psalms teach us about this inward delight? Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 119, 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. That delight is seen in that he meditates upon the word of God day and night. It's continually the blessed man, the blessed woman. Their life is lived in the light of God's word. Because the only means by which blessing and life come is through the word of God. We have no right to design or create our own way. We have not made this road. He has laid it out for us. And the Bible provides that the only way that we get on this road and we can walk on this road is in Christ Jesus. Notice this word meditate, and we heard it already in the life of Joshua. It means to ponder. As I used to hear as a kid, to chew the cud to give serious attention to. It is a battle for the mind. And that's what distinguishes these two roads. One mind is in captivity to the world. The other is captive to the word of God. Mind that is changed by grace, lives under the authority of Christ who rules us through the scriptures. The other way is the way of my truth. And all things are subjective to me. So let's ask the question here tonight. As we think about the blessed man in verse 1, verse 2. Who are we around? What do we listen to? What's filling our ears and our minds and our hearts? What do you surround yourself with? What are you listening to? What What are you reading? Ask yourself, does it produce gladness and joy in Christ? Does it cause me to look more like the Savior, or does it make me angry, miserable? Now, I do not want to be controversial tonight. But if you don't know, we've entered into another presidential election year, and I'm not going to go on politics tonight, although I could rant there for a while. And each election seems to produce more and more rancor and division than the last one. Now, we're called to be good citizens and be informed, but I urge us tonight to guard what's in our minds and our hearts that we not be enamored with the city of man and forget that we are citizens of the city of God. Let our political persuasions never transcend the gospel creed that binds us together in Christ and in all things Take note of those who build up the body of Christ and avoid those who seek to divide the body of Christ because the blessed man delights not in the opinions of man but in the word of God. Day and night he meditates on these things and when he does, he sees that the truly blessed one is the one who came to save us You see, the first Adam was created in blessed perfection. And he had a heart and he had a mind and he had a will that could delight in the law of God and meditate upon it day and night. That path was set before him. But he chose to go down another road, a road of disobedience, a road that led to destruction and judgment. And that is why the second Adam, the truly blessed man of Psalm 1, came as the God-man, and he perfectly obeyed the law of God. He gives us his righteousness, and he will bring us to a place that is better than Eden. As the greater Joshua, he brings us to the true promised land. For the road of the blessed man rests in the perfectly blessed One, Jesus Christ. So come today and trust in him. Rest in him. Do not take the seat with the scornful, because the end thereof is eternal death. Take a seat among the saints, for we all are seated together around the throne of King Jesus, because we've been called by him and made new in him. And may I say, as we read the psalm, and he talks about meditating in the law of the Lord, brothers and sisters, we have more the canon of Scripture than the psalmist had when this was written. We have the full new covenant revelation that has been given to us. So may our delight in the law of the Lord and the word of God be deep and deeper. So we begin by seeing that these two roads start with two different hearts, But now I want you to see second of all, that the two roads produce different results. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So the two roads that begin with two different hearts produce different results. Verse 3 gives us this beautiful picture of the blessed man, like, likened unto a tree planted by running water, bringing forth its fruit in season, and it does not wither. Now think about the context here that in the land of Israel, a dry, arid climate, such a picture here, of a tree staying beautiful and fruitful is quite a grabbing of the attention. How is, this so? How is this blessed man like this tree? Well, consider first of all in verse 3 it says that the tree is planted by rivers of water. And that phraseology that we are planted reminds us of the sovereign mercy and care of God. He is the one that has planted us. He is the one that has saved us. He is the one that sought us and bought us. And he tends to us. He does not plant us and leave us, but he cares for us. And the image of these running waters makes us think about Jesus when he talks about what he is as the living water. That the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and brings forth a gushing of life. I think we can see this as the Spirit of God using Christ and the ordinary means of grace to constantly provide us with sustenance. I promise we don't always feel like being here on Sunday. We don't always feel like coming to church. We don't always feel like reading our Bible or praying. Sometimes we just really don't feel like it. But I want you to know that even when we may not be feeling it, that the Holy Spirit uses it to tend to us and nourish us and strengthen us in ways that we can't imagine. And he uses those things Yes, in the short term, but also for all of our lives. Notice then what it says. Brings forth its fruit in its season. The tree produces at the appointed time. All of us experience seasons when we feel fruitless. We, we may feel like we are in a spiritually dry place and all is in vain. But brothers and sisters, notice that carefully. We produce in season. At his appointed time, he is tending us and caring for us. And the fruit production varies in our lives individually and as a church. But remember that the one who owns the vineyard is the one who is responsible for how much fruit that we bear. He has called us to be obedient. It's up to him whether it be tenfold, twentyfold, or a hundredfold. Let's be diligent in what he has called us to do and trust in his goodness, and trust in him for the production. I love them what it says also, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now this isn't a verse that's a name and claimant, blank check, everything is going to go smoothly. The Bible is not a record of pilgrims who get everything easy. It's a record of struggle and war, and hardship, but also of preserving grace, of a faithful God who keeps his promises. And in the context here, it is saying that the Lord uses all things for the good of his people. In growing us, he does use hardship. He does use trials. He uses persecution, and he uses sorrow in order for us to be able to stand and not wither and produce fruit in season. The road of the blessed man is not one for prosperity of material gain, but it's one that desires to bear fruit in the likeness of Christ. That's why, as we heard this evening there in Joshua 1, in that place of Joshua being called to assume the leadership after Moses, what is Joshua to do? Rest in his talents, his brilliance, his strategy? No. To meditate day and night upon the law of the Lord and his way would prosper. And what do we see in the book of Joshua as we work through? That Joshua saw success as he obeyed and leaned upon the counsel of the Almighty. If I can quote Spurgeon once more tonight, I love how he puts this about how God uses the hard things To make us prosper, he said, It is not outward prosperity which the Christian most desires and values, it is soul prosperity which he longs for. We often, like Jehoshaphat, make ships to go to Tarshish for gold, but they are broken at Ezion Geber. But even here, there is true prospering. For it is often for the soul's health that we would be poor bereaved and persecuted. Our worst things are often our best things. As there is a curse wrapped up in the wicked man's mercies, so there is a blessing concealed in the righteous man's crosses, losses, and sorrows. The trials of the saint are a divine husbandry by which he grows and brings forth abundant fruit. Tonight, the true gold is found in Jesus Christ himself, while the road of the ungodly is a search for fool's gold. I think about those men who, in the middle of the 19th century, when gold was reported in California, left everything to go out there, and a few found some wealth, but most people died impoverished and bankrupt. That's the way of the natural man. But the way of Christ... It is the way of life. That's why then verse 4 gives us the difference between these two roads because in verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And we could put it this way. The wicked are not like this. They are not like the tree planted and blossoming. No, not so for the wicked. Instead, they are compared to the chaff when the man was at the threshing floor and would throw up the wheat, the kernels that fell, the fruit, but the chaff was the husk that blew away into the wind. He says that's the results of this road of the ungodly. They might have health and wealth and honor. They may even have the appearance of a cedar of Lebanon, but there's no root. There's no root planted by the living water and there comes a time when they're exposed for what they are, and it's the chaff in the wind, death, lifeless, nothing, hollow. Yes, this road of the ungodly is paved with many attractions and trinkets, but at the end of it is no life but sorrow for all eternity. This imagery of the two roads being two trees with two different results is found throughout the scriptures. One place is Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and inhabited salt land. That's the road of the natural man. That's where it leads. But then blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Think about that. The psalmist is saying that the road of the godly blessed man is that tree that can be in a place experiencing drought, but the planter makes sure that the water still comes and brings spiritual prosperity. That's why John 15 and the point about fruit there is Christ and abiding in him. Union with him. He's the one that gives us life. He is the one that gives us vigor. If I can remind you of anything tonight, it is as we are on this road, if we are to know what blessing it it is, by us dwelling and pondering upon Jesus Christ. As the great Baptist preacher Andrew Fuller said, if you will go over his deity and his humanity, if you will ponder that he is prophet, priest, and king, If you'll see how all of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in him, then you'll have spiritual drink and food and never run out. Because we have deep roots in Christ. And that allows us to withstand the drought and the storms and the heat and the cold. I think about trees and how magnificent it is to consider old trees and standing the test of time. Back home in Mississippi, in our backyard, we have a large magnolia tree. Now, as a kid, I hated raking those leaves. (laughs) Because not only did I have to rake them, but I had to do it my dad's way. And it had to be done his way. But as I've gotten older, when I go back home, and I think about the deep roots of that tree and how long it's been there and the shade that it gives and the beautiful magnolias that come Each year. I think about how that tree stood withstood many hurricanes, including Hurricane Katrina. But in a far greater and more perfect way, our Lord plants us, nourishes us, keeps us. And brothers and sisters, there's nothing that can uproot us. Nothing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the Church of Jesus Christ. And you and I are a part of that company. Nothing can uproot us. So we keep pressing on. This evening, if the road you're on is not the road of verse 3 but of verse 4, then the end for you is going to be like the chaff. You're a curse tonight, trusting in man and in the strength of man. But you can know blessing in life tonight by trusting in Christ the one who plants trees that will not perish. So the two roads start with two hearts, and they produce two different types of fruit. And now I want you to see they end in two different destinations. Verse 5, the psalmist says, Therefore, because of this, because of the ungodly being like the chaff, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners and the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The psalmist says here in verse number five, the ungodly will not be able to withstand the judgment of God. I think here we can see allusions to what Jesus will talk about in depth in Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46 on that final judgment. When the sheep and the goats are separated. The destination for the end of these two roads is very different. The ungodly might seem to prosper for a time. But there is a final judgment coming. And those who die on this road. In this condition. Cannot stand before the holiness of God. Those who have put trust in themselves and followed the counsel of the ungodly, who sat with the scornful, will be condemned to eternal hell. Notice verse 6, it says, not even the ungodly shall perish, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That way that is against the gospel of Jesus Christ will not endure in any way. I know that preaching on things like hell can feel antiquated. And I'll confess here tonight, church, I have been I've grown up in church my whole life. And I think sometimes because I've heard things like hell and eternal judgment, I can become just as calloused as anybody to it. We can start to think that is that really real? It is. As the people of God, we need to be gripped by the reality that there is a destination for all eternity for those who perish in their sins. It's a real place, and the end is destruction. And tonight, if you're not in Christ, that's the road you're on, and that's your destination. And it might look good, it might look safe to you right now, but I want you to know that it's a deception and an illusion. In our social media age, there are so many apps and so many ways that people present life, life apart from Christ, life that has lived in sin and rebellion, and they say it looks inviting and wholesome and it's good. But I want you to know that the fruit in the garden look good to our first parents. Sin always looks good, but it's deadly and it's destructive. Turn to Christ tonight and be saved because he truly is good tonight. And he does do all things well. And you may be thinking, well, I've been on this road a long time, preacher. I want you to know Jesus rescues people off this road. It doesn't matter how many years you've been on it. His grace rescues and delivers. Because I want you to see the contrast here. There's the end for the ungodly. but Verse 6, it says, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, what does that mean? he knows all things so it has to be more than just that kind of knowledge it's an affectionate covenant knowledge he knows his people I know my own and they know me beloved do not forget tonight that you are known by the highest throne tonight you are known by the king of kings and he doesn't lose sight of his people He doesn't forget us. He doesn't lose one of us on the road. I want you to think about later in the book of Psalms, these words in Psalm 37, verses 18 through 24. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds. With his hand. That's why Job says in Job 23.10. I've been through the fire. But I shall come forth like gold. The end of the road for us. Is to ever be. With the Lord. That's why we comfort one another. With these precious promises. It's not just theological jargon that we speak. It's what we cling to. And hold on to. He will not forget one of us those that are on this road, we will make it safely to Zion together. And there will be nothing that separates us. So yes, there's two roads tonight. And Robert Frost said that choosing the less traveled road made all the difference. When well, Jesus said that the broad road, the broad way, the one that most people take is the way to destruction. It's a road that begins with a heart that grows in sinful stubbornness and rejection, and it ends like the chaff in the wind. Death, not just physical, but spiritual, is the end of that road. And that's the road you're on tonight in your own strength. But Jesus Christ comes and saves people off that road, and he brings them to a good road. And fellow pilgrims tonight, All of us who are in the blessed man, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are blessed men and women in him. He began this good work, and he has promised to fulfill it. It's hard. The road is hard at times. But we do not travel alone. Continue to bring your heart and mind to the Lord. Come to his word by the power of the Spirit, to remind you of the loveliness of Jesus Christ. And as a church, let us seek to help and serve one another that as we travel this road together, we remind one another of what's at the end, and that is Jesus. There on the Mount of Transfiguration, the apostles saw a glimpse. I want us to know that we'll get a full look for all eternity, which road are you on tonight let 's pray, our Father in heaven, how we indeed thank you that you came and saved us, that you rescued us when we were on the road to destruction, that you, in your grace and kindness, came and saved us, and you planted us and you nourish us we have many in our church family who are going through hardships and difficult times right now. Oh, Spirit of God, remind your people that we are planted in Christ, and the storms come, and the winds blow, and we may feel shaken at times, but we will not perish. You will not lose one of us. And I ask this evening that your spirit would bring that precious reminder to every heart tonight. And I pray this evening for those who are on the other road, the broad road, the way of the ungodly. It may even right now feel right, but we know what is right in your word. And I pray this evening that your spirit would change their heart. And their affections would be turned to Christ. And they would believe in him. For he alone is the way and the truth and the life. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being that perfect blessed man. And for giving us all the blessings of the covenant of grace tonight. Would you keep us? Would you protect us? We ask In your matchless name, amen.